Hi everyone, my name is Julie from Brooklyn, um, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, uh, and I just want to um, pray to my higher power that I say something that will help somebody um, tonight. I'm going to take a moderator for um, and all aboard the meeting on service, sharing, and all our silent witnesses and newcomers. Um, let's see. Um, I'm abstinent since uh, December 10th, uh, 2008, by the grace of God. And there's a flip here and there, but for the most part, that's it. Um, um, I may jump around a lot, so bear with me. Um, it wasn't until I got to the point where I knew that I was going to die if I didn't look at, pay serious attention to, and change in some fundamental way about my food. Um, I think I've had the problem, really. I might have been born with it. Um, came from a very dysfunctional, desperate, uh, desperately emotionally and spiritually ill family, trying to cover it up with, you know, intellect and, you know, uh, <clears throat> the thinking was, well, <clears throat> we're superior intellectually, so, you know, uh, the spoil, like it says in the big book, the spoils are ours for the thinking, you know, and everybody else's, you know, bugs, you know. Anyway, and I was one of the, considered one of those bugs and a scapegoat and lost child and all like that. And so the uh, the dieting stuff started when I was eight years old. And because um, the problem had already become apparent by the time I was five, uh, you know, gone to kindergarten and uh, teacher says, bring a snack for the break in the morning. And my mother gave me some diet sugar cookies. And <clears throat> she said to me at age five, don't eat too many of them. And uh, when I, you know, opened them at the proper time, in the kindergarten, I found, and I remember this, that I could not stop eating them. I wanted to keep continue, and um, that was my first indication. Jesus, something, mm, something's not quite right. Anyway, uh, fast forward um, to what now? Um, the first diet at age eight. I was not liked at school at all. I was hated. Um, every school I went to, I had no social skills, no self-esteem. I was being abused physically, emotionally, sexually, you know, spiritually, immorally, any which way you want to name it, right? And uh, those days, people didn't do much. I don't even think it was a child abuse hotline or anything. And so um, anyway, uh, let's see, um, age 11, I was put in a school in Ireland. And then <clears throat> a year later, I was put in the Magdalene Laundry. And um, so, in other words, the the the, the, treat, the treatment I received was continued uh, in the same vein of you know I'm worthless and all like that. You know, came to live with my grandmother at age 17, and really, first really you know consistent kindness that I received in life I was there with her for four years, moved out on my own at age 21 to this apartment where I've been for 40 years. Uh, I worked, um, as, as soon as I came back from Ireland, I wanted a job right away so that I could have independence. Nobody could, could you know, say leave, you know, I could have some security. Anyway, um, I had not resolved any, you know, I, I, I started therapy actually in 1979. And I also, I, around that time, came out as a lesbian. And it was just horrific to me to even think that I had, you know, had those feelings really since I was three years old. And just, you know, and my mother was horrific to me about it. And, you know, she says to me at age five, you know, don't make an enemy of me. And then she said, uh, oh, you're going to be a lesbian. At age five, she tells me. 
oh, because our relationship is bad, you're going to be, you know, sleeping with every man, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to prove that you're not a lesbian. And anyway, in those days, it was really awful to be a lesbian. And then also, you know, there was just no, <clears throat> nothing about us in the media. So I had to look in a dictionary to kind of, even though it was a pejorative um, de definition in, in the dictionary, in a bookstore once, at least I could see myself, you know, I existed. In addition to that, I was a very sensitive child, and, and, and age three also was the first time I noticed that I was really, really depressed, you know. And at age seven, I wanted to jump out a window, um, but I thought very hard about it, even even at age seven, considering the consequences. And they, and they say, you know, age children uh, seven years old not supposed to be able to do that, and, and maybe many, many can't, but... Anyway, so um, I moved out of my own, age 21, went to work every day, and then had a sudden memory. Uh, it was the only repressed memory I had of sexual abuse from my father, and it was so horrifying to me and so, um, you know, I had a visual of it, you know, and, and also body memories. And I was only 23 at the time, and um, my temper was so bad that I thought that I was, you know, if something weren't done quickly, I could hurt somebody. And so I sat on the subway, sitting on my hands to like uh, tr try not to hurt, you know, hurt the man next to me if I if I wanted to blow my nose or something. Anyway, I decided to go into karate because I thought, well, at least it'll be directed in a positive direction, you know. And uh, the first lesson I had came out, went for a cup of coffee, and ha I had the first smile that I had in nine months. Nine months. Anyway, I went through. I, I, I um. I um. Trained vigorously, you know, in karate for six and a half years, um, using it really as a way to, um, you know, eat whatever I wanted and also to cover my my feelings of devastation over, you know, my brother being a missing person and, and having died, you know, at, like that, and only finding out afterwards, and, you know, it was awful. Anyway, the point is that I repressed all of these feelings that got to a point where I was I, I overdid everything to such a such a degree. Tra training karate twice a day, holding on a full time job, and going to college at night. You know, after every you know at, uh, late at night, to nine to ten at night, a couple three times a week. So, and so I had all this unresolved stuff, and and uh, food had always been the comfort where my mother's arms and breasts were not for me. I was rejected and hated by my mother, and I was, uh, you know, rejected by my father. And so food became the substitute. And in this incarnation, uh, you know, no matter how much love and recovery I have, it's still going to be that, you know, it's still going to be that for me, and I'm going to need recovery every single day. So it wasn't until I got to the point where I knew I was going to die that I, that I, that I um, would deal with the food issue. The, the, the day that... Um, I also, um, you know, had mental health issues, and I had to take medication, and lost my lost the ability to do karate, lost the ability to hold a job, and so I was just going back and forth to the psychiatrist and the therapist, and that's all who I saw, you know, in the week. You know, slept 18 hours a day. Anyway, um, uh, what finally, you know, I had been in and out of OA, in and out of different diet programs, pay and ways, and everything, and. Um, Anyway, um, I had been diagnosed with um, fibromyalgia, pain syndrome, you know, which they're finding is related uh, to, um, they're finding it's related not only to emotional abuse in childhood, but actually uh, so women soldiers who feel betrayed will get pain syndromes, whereas men will not. Anyway, getting into recovery here, 
2008, the pain became so completely unbearable, almost like January 1st. I went for a whole year gradually losing my ability to walk. And I suppose you might think that was a high, what do you call that, a high bottom? Because in my case, I've been very active with the karate. You know, we burned 1,000 calories an hour, and I had actually ranked, and then I did an additional two years to get like a, to try to get a second degree black belt, but that's when, you know, um, <clears throat> I started having a series of nervous breakdowns and, and didn't quite make it. So anyway, to lose the ability to walk was the same as death to me. And I was seeing that my ability to walk was less and less. Anyway, so oh, through God, um, you know, and serendipity, a person in another program I was partnered with, action partners with, in Israel actually, she had to, I had finally in November, I said to look, I'm, I'm really having trouble walking. Um, do you think it could have to do with the food? And, and God put her in my life. She said, oh, I've been 22 years abstinent from flour and sugar. And in a way, to me, that sounded like a century, you know, an eternity. So, so she said, try 90 day. So I tried the meeting on December 5th, 2008. And I, I came back to her complaining. And I said, look, you know, this is OA. I tried OA. It didn't work. But then, I don't know, maybe she was praying for me. Anyhow, uh, I kept attending every single day. Well, by the 10th of December, I had made up my mind, heard enough about what abstinence was, and I was struck abstinent. Uh, prior to this, I, I had sat on, on a bench in a bus stop and realized maybe I had 18 months to live, and that was very sobering thought. It wasn't even highly emotional. It was just, oh, my death is closer than I thought. My, my death, death is practically here, you know. And there was the sadness with it. And I thought, and then somehow rustled in me that, that if, if there was anything I could do to uh, stop this pain physically, emotionally, and to stay alive, that I, I might as well try to, try to give it all I got, you know. And that, that was the gift of desperation, the pain. Every, so anyway, December, December 10th, I was struck absent and willing to do three meals for me, three, three meals a day, cut all the sugar, the flour, gluten, and later in that month, all diet um, sodas, because I was a real big diet soda person. <clears throat> so I, um, uh, I had a horrific withdrawal. I sequestered myself in the apartment, went nowhere for Christmas, because I knew that you know I'd be tempted to eat. And I, I just, I don't know, I just got a mania and a desperation for abstinence. I didn't, I was, you know, I was like a, a plow. I was going to let nothing get in the way of my abstinence. The first three weeks, um, I had a sponsor who, who didn't quite have enough recovery because she was new herself. She was trying to help me, but she wasn't able to be reliable. I became enraged, and I realized that th this was a perfect opportunity to just say, chuck it all and say, to heck with it, uh, uh, just abstinence stuff. Oh, I can go shove it, right? I said, no, I'm not going to use this as an excuse. Life is painful. So the whole point that I want to make here and read um, <clears throat> And this is, I have a third edition of the big book, but in, in the fourth edition, which I believe everybody's using now, is um, on page 417 of the fourth edition, and on the third edition, which is what I have, 449, acceptance. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. 
unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitude. And so uh, what, why is that important? Because what recovery has empowered me to do, by the grace of God, I got a higher power, very different from the one I grew up with, who was personal to me, that I realized who cared about every morsel I put in my mouth, every bite I put in my mouth, because he designed this body, you know, and he kind of wants to make sure that I'm getting the high-octane fuel that you would put in a, you know, in a Ferrari, right? So if, I, if I'm going to have a body that's like a Ferrari, i got, I got to eat the right amounts and the right food and, and kind of follow the program, you know, that he wants to give me. Now, as for the steps, I started to work the steps immediately uh, because, again, there is no recovery uh, without the steps, you know, I have found personally. And so I started with step one, and, and I wrote, wrote out all my steps very, very simply. As, and um, within 36 days, I had a, a horrible withdrawal, which is I'm thankful for because it means that I don't want to go through that suffering again by flip-flopping on my uh, abstinence. And then by, oh, the beginning, middle of February, I threw away my cane. Uh, and I started to be able to walk normally. And that was a complete miracle. What I also found, crazily enough, was that three-quarters of my depression, without exaggeration, lifted and disappeared. I still continued to take my medication as I do today, but, um, you know, medication can't do everything. Lifestyle is very important for me. You know, so anyway, point being is that um, somebody was asking me, you know, by March or April, like, sponsor them, and, and this, is, this person is a chronic relapser who actually has a beautiful absence now. And so I said, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even, you know, a couple of months here. I eventually did sponsor her, but again, a beautiful person who took, took the ball of the steps and ran with it, you know, and made a beautiful recovery. So here I am um, um, on December 10th. It'll be, I suppose, what is it now, 13 years, by the grace of God, one day at a time. On December 10th, I'm moving out of New York City, completely going to Iowa, taking two suitcases, and uh, that's it. I don't have a place to live. I don't have a job, anything. But I'm following God's direction, and I have, uh, you know, four nights in a hotel at the moment, and I, I've got money because if I use the money to um, move, I'd be a pauper by the time I re arrived in, in, in Cedar Rapids. So anyway, what am I, why am I saying about, uh, why did I read the part about acceptance? Because this is what I've learned. Life is hard, but I got tools now. I got the program, got people care about me, got a higher power, got the steps. And I got different ways to soothe myself now that don't require me to stuff my face when I feel angry, allow myself to have the anger, but and love myself when I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm scared or whatever, you know. Or you upset. have five more minutes, Julie. Oh, thank you so much, Beverly. Thank you so much, Timekeeper. Appreciate it. So um, so with, the, with that is that um, Life is hard. Life is hard for everybody. But then what, what came with that, though, is that in accepting, you know, when the emotions really started to, to, to open up and, and be overwhelming, you know, almost immediately once I started with the abstinence, and I, and I continued, um, an example was one time I was frightened for six weeks straight, 24 hours a day, with maybe 15 minutes or 20-minute breaks, you know, sometimes. And I said... You know, because it was the whole issue with the, um, you know, sexual abuse and everything, and my my fear of men and everything, and you know, because of that, and 
anyway, the point is that that I stuck it out for those six terrifying weeks. And the thing is that 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 um, what came with that though was that I now have the ability to feel pleasure and joy. Um, th these are relatively new manifestations, um, but but they're real. They're real. I feel joy. I'm feeling more love towards myself. I speak kindly to myself now. And um, uh, so uh, I meant this whole uh, talk to be about step one uh, because um, until, like I said, until it became life and death for me and I knew clearly that I was facing my own death if I continued with the food and I thought, well, is it really worth it? Isn't it better for me to go through a scary, scary, scary time of letting go of the food, maybe even dissociating a bit, uh, and try a different lifestyle, you know, than um, the, the old thing, which is, you know, it, it feels safe, but actually it's killing me. It's like, you know what, I'm worth more than that. I, I love myself more than that, you know, at least in that area. And, and um, maybe in the past I let people be um, rude and abusive to me, but the program helped me with that too, get over that as well. But if I don't have the basic wish to live, right, and do whatever it takes to save my own life and, and allow higher power to help me save my own life, then, then, then you know, everything else is like moat and wasted. So anyway, uh, I'm Julie from Brooklyn, um, at least temporarily on December 10th. I'll be moving to Iowa and I'll be in central time, but I'll still show up at this meeting with joy. Um, and... Um, Used to be a lot more meeting people on on this meeting when I started. Used to be like 120, and people would would, would rush to do service, and we still have some faithful people who do service all the time. God bless them. Anyway, my telephone number is seven one eight two nine zero three six six zero. I want to thank my higher power for giving me the strength to um, get this far and to speak tonight. And, and to be in my own, my right mind, and, and to feel joy and happiness, and maybe to help somebody else. Um, again, Julie from Brooklyn. Thanks so much for letting me share. I pass.